0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Finance in a Flash. I'm your host, John Motto, and today I'm joined again by Chip Heimiller. Chip, it's nice to have you back on the podcast. Last week we had uh we had Pat on, so it was a it was a nice nice break. And if you haven't listened to that episode with um Patrick Lamprey, it was a great episode. But um Chip, you just came back from a big trip out to Alaska. Uh, how was your trip?
1: Oh, it was so wonderful. It's you know I uh, clients have told us. For years, I've I've heard about how beautiful it is, and and they've told me that pictures don't do it justice, and all of these things. And we, I learned that for myself. It really was an amazing trip, and uh, I took my kids, and uh, you know, my wife and I took our kids, and we had all of these excursions planned and ev- everything. Uh, and it was it was a busy trip, but we saw a lot. And uh, it really was amazing. We just we just love Alaska. and the weather was great. Of course, we you know we got back off the, got off the airplane, and we returned. It was 96 degrees here. So uh, it's like back into the sauna. But um, Alaska was just wonderful. I, I really encourage anyone if they have a chance to go uh, to take advantage of that because it is it is uh, indescribable and how beautiful it
0: is. Yeah. The pictures looked amazing. So if the pictures don't even do it justice, I mean, wow, I was blown away at some of the the pictures that you guys got. And I know that um, we haven't even seen all of them yet.
1: I know. And, and uh, it just, it, it, you know, when you see mountains coming directly up to the ocean and, uh, and you see the waterfalls falls that are created by, you know, glaciers melting and things like that, it's just uh, unbelievable. And, uh, so we we had a blast. We didn't see as many whales as we had hoped, but, uh, you know, we saw a couple from a distance. But, you know, we 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 missed out on that. But boy, did we see a lot of things and experienced a lot of new things and uh, met some pretty cool people. and uh, just a great travel experience. So uh, it was wonderful,
0: yeah, that it sounds amazing. You definitely made me want to go to Alaska. Now, I will say, I think I would only want to see whales from a distance. I don't know what I would do if I saw one of those. <laughs> so close. I, know, so. <laughs> I know. Well, you had
1: this vision of seeing these, you know, huge uh, animals breaching the surface of the water, and and uh, and we didn't see that, and so I guess we were just a little bit. Uh, we had the expectation, oh, there'd be whales everywhere, and I think there are at certain times and that sort of thing. But we we just. You know, we weren't lucky there, but we were lucky in an awful lot of other ways. There were the weather was wonderful. We had, you know, uh, flying into we went through Seattle first and we had a clear view of Mount Rainier, which is amazing in and of itself. And uh, just, you know, it was just a wonderful trip. And uh, I can't uh, emphasize enough how how beautiful it is. It's just, uh, you know, amazing. So hopefully everyone can get a chance to visit.
0: You've certainly made me want to. I'm glad the to list. list. <laughs> it's, a, it's a growing list now. <laughs> and um, yeah. I'm glad you guys had such a great time and, you know, spent some good time with your family and all that. But um, now you're back, like you said, in the sauna. It's blazing hot here. <laughs> it is. So, uh, it is. So, yeah. Well, today on today's podcast, we're going to get into the question of why do we prefer mutual funds and ETFs versus owning individual stocks? If you've been listening to our podcast for a while now, you've probably heard us use this analogy before, but I'll say it again. Mutual funds, ETFs, stocks and uh, are all tools that investors have at their disposal. And you know they can all get investors to their end goal, whatever that end goal may be. But on today's podcast, we're going to highlight a few reasons why we prefer to use mutual funds and ETFs as our tools versus using individual stocks as our tools. Chip, could you kick us off by introducing our philosophy of maintaining a diversified approach and how mutual fund and exchange traded funds or ETFs fit into that approach?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you know, we uh, they're there. Like you said, there's lots of ways to get to the same end point. Uh, we have our own preference based on our experience and years of working with clients and, and you know, their investment experience and what works best. And, and, and you know, we like uh, using exchange-traded funds or ETFs and mutual funds simply because, you know, it's a diversified approach uh, is what I, we think is best. You know, you have uh, the capability of investing in literally thousands of different companies' across you know many different regions of the world and sectors of the economy and and all of those things. and it's very cheap and low cost. We can gain access to these uh, a diversified portfolio through using mutual funds and exchange traded funds and it can be, you know it's very low cost and uh, very also tax efficient. And um, and, you know, there are many other benefits, but which we'll get to later on the podcast. But, you know, primarily we we think that uh, being diversified uh, is an appropriate and really a very efficient way to invest, especially for those um, who, you know, are approaching retirement. I mean, you know, company specific risk is something that that uh, is very real and uh, and we want to uh, be very aware of the risk that we, we're taking for clients. And and really, we want to have a predictable, uh, semi-predictable approach uh, with with investing. And that's uh, mutual funds and at TTFs allow us to do that, both on the stock side, uh, as well as on the bond side uh, of the ledger. So uh, that's just the general philosophy there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree, Chip. And it sounds like to me, that one of the significant advantages of owning an ETF or mutual fund is their ability to provide some kind of instant, you know, diversification. You know, this diversification not only helps reduce the risk associated with owning individual stock or company specific risk like you just mentioned, but they also can help reduce some of the complexities associated with owning an individual stock. Chip, could you go over some of maybe what the complexities of owning an individual stock could be?
1: Oh uh, yeah so and and this is an important an important concept to understand because you know uh, i i don't know uh you know how most people feel but i can tell you that for every investment that we buy on our clients behalf and 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 really for us too i mean john we have the same we invest in the same uh investments that our our clients we invest our clients into i want to know that uh, investment Intimately, I want to know everything about it, you know, and that's awful difficult when you're talking about a diversified portfolio of stocks. You know, uh, it's it's just so much more complicated and and it's not necessarily more complicated, but it's 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 there are more factors. Right. You know, things like, uh, you know, when do you sell a stock? Like, at what point do you sell the stock? it's it's stocks become overvalued with time. So, but when, when is that, are you going to be the one who's, who's uh, evaluating that on go on an ongoing basis? You know, when should you buy more or even re, or reduce exposures? You know, if, if a, let's say if a stock declines, do you, what do you do there? Or do you have the confidence to buy more? You know, what, what if money is needed from your portfolio and you own, you know, 50 stocks, which ones do you sell to, to and, and what's the rationale behind making that decision? um what if you're investing new money like which stock should you buy should you buy an existing stock or should you buy you know uh an, an additional an additional stock you know how do you how do you make that decision with confidence or or are you just guessing i mean you know i could i would never feel good about investing uh a client's money without having gone through an extensive due diligence process on on anything that we own you know you know there are other areas too like what about what about the industry? Are you in a great stock, but you're in a terrible industry? You know, uh, you know, how do you know if it's a growing industry or a dying industry? You know, how do you in- evaluate competitive advantages and disadvantages between one stock and their competitor? You know, how do you do that? And, and which one do you choose? You know, or do you ignore that industry at all? Um, you know, what about regulatory issues? Are you familiar with the regulatory industry uh, issues of an industry? that may uh, create problems for certain categories of stocks um it's just kind of a uh, it's a lot and uh you know and there's there's other things too that uh you know people need to understand about stocks There, they you know the average stock fluctuates by 50% each year you know if you look at the difference between a 52 week high and the 52 week low of a stock um you know, it's a a widespread. And so there's a lot of time in between those prices where, you know, you're questioning yourself. And to me, you know, I want to be very confident in any investment that I own for a client. And, you know, I I just don't know if I could ever be comfortable enough with a portfolio of stocks that, um, you know, would warrant me owning, you know, stocks instead of mutual funds. Um, you know that the another thing too. I Just kind of thought of this is it's also a little bit of an administrative burden uh, to deal with stocks. You know, there are spinoffs, mergers, reorgs. You know, you end up owning stocks that you didn't even buy, and so what do you do with those those positions? You know, do you keep the spinoff stock? Well, what about the cost basis? How does that follow the the spinoff? So there's just a lot of issues that I think uh, create hurdles and and impediments for for owning stocks. Now, you know, uh, you, you, always hear about, oh, my neighbors, you know, owns the, has owned, uh, this great stock that's done really well, but what they don't tell you is they own 10 stocks that haven't done as well. You know, they may own the one that's, that's done well, but the other 10 that haven't done well. So just keep that in mind, you know, you, that's, that's, you know, cocktail party talk. That's just, you know, uh, people aren't necessarily being a hundred percent, uh, uh, truthful with what they're saying, especially when it comes to investment matters. Because I can tell you that, you know, with every stock that has done well, there's another one that hasn't done as well, and so you just need to be be careful there. and And for me, I just think that I want to, you know, be 100 percent confident at having having gone through the due diligence process for the mutual funds and exchange traded funds that we but we own for clients. And I want to feel good about that. So, you know, those are some of the big, uh, you know, problems that we see for owning stocks. And there, there are others too. And I think we'll hit on those here in a few minutes.
0: Wow, that that sure seems like a lot. I mean, that's that's a ton to keep in mind. That is a lot of decisions to make on a regular basis, and a lot of you know, a, a ton of due diligence. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. But um, Chip, let me ask you this. In your experience over the years, um, have you found that individuals kind of have a hard time making those decisions uh, about stocks that they own? It seems like to me there would be a lot of psychological and behavioral um, issues at play there. Investing is is already hard enough without having to manage all the you know the emotional roller coaster that uh, individual stocks can create. Oh
1: my gosh, John, that's uh, such an important point here because. You know, there are so many times where people have they become attached to certain stocks, you know, they think, oh, you know, oh, I inherited this from my parent or, you know, I worked at the company for a long time and they become attached to the stock. And maybe it's had great performance. But, you know, at the end of the day, the the stock doesn't know that you own it. The stock doesn't really care about you. It's you, you kind of care about the stock, but, but for, you know, reasons that are uh, not necessarily rational. Um, you know the other thing is sometimes people don't really want to admit they made a mistake, right? They they are hesitant to sell a stock that and maybe the stock's declined and and you know they, they think it'll come back, but they're you know they just they don't know. And I mean there there are tons of examples. I mean you know if you think about the company BlackBerry or the company Nokia, I mean those are are were at one time phenomenal companies and phenomenal stocks. They did really well. But the industry changed, and it changed rapidly, and so. But people think, oh well, they'll they'll get it together and come back. They just don't know. And um, you know, to me, it's 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 kind of a guess, and uh, and I don't like to do that. You know, and there there are times when people you know have a hunch on a stock, maybe, or they hear Jim Kramer or a friend say, oh, this is going to be a great stock, and. And or maybe they find uh, they do the research and and read up on whatever, you know, sources they they read and, you know, here's a great this I've identified this great stock and maybe it does well, and so now you know there's they have overconfidence bias and they think oh well I picked this one very well so now I'm going to pick. I'm gonna. I can do even better on on this one, and they invest more, and it's kind of like a gambling mindset. And so, you know, we just don't. I don't like that. I don't like having those behavioral um, factors that's at play when it comes to investing uh, for the long term uh, for for clients. It's just, I just don't think it's a um, a great way to approach investing,
0: right? And it's so many more decisions to have to get right. Um over the over the course of an investor's lifetime i mean you got to get several decisions all the time right and that that is just that that's a lot and chip we've kind of highlighted uh, some of the complexities of owning individual stocks so far and we briefly kind of introduced at the beginning um, our philosophy of maintaining a diversified approach and how mutual funds and exchange traded funds fit into that approach chip could you go into um some more detail and of kind of the benefits of owning mutual funds and exchange in exchange traded funds
1: yeah so I mean obviously the biggest one we've already hit on is it's you know it you're you're diversified and you would by owning you know you could own five six seven mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, and essentially own, you know, stocks and bonds over thousands of companies throughout the world. And so, you know, you can own, uh, you know, companies spread across many sectors, industries, regions of the world, you know, essentially you're eliminating any company-specific risk, and and I think that's a huge benefit of diversification. Um, also if you really think about it, you know, you're kind of guaranteed to participate in the growth of many companies. You know, you're 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 investing in lots of companies. I mean, if you think about it, could you imagine uh being an investor over the last 20 years and not having owned, you know, Amazon, I, Apple or Microsoft or Google. Those companies have literally changed the way people do business throughout the world. And you know, if you own a few stocks, well maybe you weren't lucky enough to to guess Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, you know, maybe those were, you know, ones that uh, the pundits at the time thought were just overpriced or something, you know, but by being diversified, you're kind of guaranteed to own the companies that are the next leaders. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's great, you know, literally as the world changes and, and things uh, evolve, uh, markets evolve and that sort of thing, it's, you're guaranteed to kind of participate in that growth you know uh you know also emerging new industries right i mean I, the the uh, a lot of people are talking about artificial intelligence you know you're you're guaranteed to have exposure to that industry just because we're diversified and now you may not uh, own a huge you know shares of of chat gpt or or whatever companies are in that industry but you are guaranteed to own some You know, incidental form of ownership there, and I think that's important. You know, there are also companies out there that are inventing, you know, life-saving treatments and uh, diagnostic tools and all kinds of health-related companies that are are creating and developing life-saving treatments. And so, you know, I want to participate in that. I don't know about you. I mean, our aging there's we have an aging population. I just think that. You know, as the world evolves and changes, you know, I really want my clients to participate and, and really benefit from this growth. And so, you know, uh, having exposure to mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, um, that that allows us to participate, and and really, we're not missing out on uh, things that that will do well in the future. We're we're actually participating in that growth, and so I think that's a uh, a great kind of. Uh, element of being diversified.
0: Yeah. And and I I totally agree with all that. And it's nice to know that you're going to be participating in that and not worry that maybe one of the decisions, one of the many decisions you would have had to make earlier, um, are going to be correct, you know, picking that exact company that's going to be the leader in artificial intelligence. Because, you know, I know me, Chip, you and I've read a few different things. It was like, you know, sometimes the industry leader at the beginning doesn't end up being the one that actually comes out and ends up being the winner for whatever that may be. It might look like, you know, company A is leading the way in artificial intelligence. And then all of a sudden, company E has come through and has, you know, had the big break. And so not having that, that way to, if that decision on your on your chest it feels really good. I think,
1: yeah, absolutely. And BlackBerry is a great example of that. You know, once the iPhone uh, kind of gained popularity, uh, BlackBerry you know really started to deteriorate and take a hit. And BlackBerry couldn't adjust that. You know, their management couldn't adjust and um, and rapidly enough to to correct the problem. And so, you know, there there are lots of examples of that. And so, I yeah. I just want people. To participate in that growth, that's that really is inevitable. You know, it's inevitable that companies grow. They're profit-seeking. Um, they're they're driven uh, by their shareholders, really, um, to to look for ways to uh, you know grow and and grow their revenues and grow their profitability.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So, Chip, earlier in the podcast, you mentioned something about owning some individual stocks, or you know, a little bit more cumbersome and administratively it's kind of difficult. So could you maybe go in to talk about some of the logistical benefits of owning exchange traded funds or mutual funds? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that from our standpoint, we we
1: like to diversify among large cap companies, small cap companies, international companies. We like to see uh, and we like to construct portfolios where all of the investments don't really move in tandem with each other. And that's very beneficial because it it makes a much better investor experience, right? You you want to see uh, companies that ebb and or investments that ebb and flow with each other. You kind of create, you know, because the markets, uh, you know, if you think about what happens in certain sectors, like some sectors do really well when you know the economy is growing, but other sectors do. Well, when, uh, you know, maybe the economy are st- is stalling out a little bit. So you want to own some of, of each. And so we like uh, knowing, okay, well, I can own this one particular investment. And it's it's correlated a little bit with the, another investment, but there's some, uh, you know, they're, they're not correlated one to one. And so we can create this, uh, you know, a portfolio that has lower uh, ongoing volatility. And I think that's that's an important when you especially when you think about individuals and how they react emotionally and worry and all of those things. Um, you know, also uh, internally, we uh, we like we assign targets to these categories. Right. So, you know, we might have a 30 percent exposure to large cap, 10 percent exposure to small cap, 20 percent exposure to international, whatever the case may be, depending on the client's uh risk profile you know but as these each of these different types of investments uh fluctuate with time and have different returns we can engage in um you know kind of a uh a, a rebalancing process that helps us take advantage of those uh market movements right and so you know we have uh, we like to see that we like to see things that um, you know they have the ability to uh, that fluctuate with time and uh, we can take advantage of those those time periods where certain investments or have taken a little bit of a hit and others have done pretty well so we can trim exposure in the ones that have done well and and kind of invest in the uh, those uh, funds that have have underperformed temporarily because you know the markets ebb and flow um you know so we we like to understand uh the investments we own to that level. We assign targets there. Um, you know, we also, uh, you know, really we have, uh, we, we monitored and followed and listened to conference calls and uh, understand the red prospectuses and done all of this stuff with uh, mutual funds that we own over the course of, you know, we, a lot of the funds we own now, we've owned for more than 10 years. So, you know, we know these, uh, investments pretty well. We know how correlated they are with um, or uncorrelated they are with other funds and how they perform together in rising and falling markets. We know the top holdings of these funds. We know the sector allocations. We know the dividend yield. Um, you know, when bond funds, we understand what the credit quality is, uh, is, the average maturity, how much, what's the interest expected to be generated. You know, all of those things, I think it's it's just intimately knowing the investments, how you expect them to perform individually, and also how you expect a portfolio uh, to perform when you combine all of these investments, and it's important to me to kind of understand that, um, you know. And, and the reason is because it will gives us the confidence to kind of pivot and make changes when it's necessary. You know, I can tell you that uh, you and I both are able to uh, feel good uh, and sleep at night, really. Uh, with the portfolios that we've created because we understand those attributes and how things are going to happen, which is also important because, uh, you know, it allows us to do uh, some important work with coaching our clients when things get tough, right? I mean, uh, we we have the confidence uh, in the investments that we own to know, hey, you know, this is temporary, and we're in a good position going forward, and we can communicate that with clients. And I just think that's such a, a valuable um, mindset to have. Uh, and, 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 and it's one that's been very fe- effective for, for our clients and, and ourselves over time.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing that you always say around the office is is really important here is, you know, we, we really want to put people in the best position to have a, you know, a good outcome. We don't know what the market's going to do and all, all of that, but we can set up to what we believe will be the, give clients the best probability of having a successful outcome. And Chip, I think you've done a great job of explaining to our listeners, um, you know, our philosophy on why we prefer mutual funds and uh, exchange traded funds versus individual stocks. But before we sign off for today, um, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, you know, we get this the question that we've kind of asked here: why, why, you know, why don't you own stocks versus mutual funds? And you know, and I think that. Uh, there's, we've kind of presented a compelling case for for uh, mutual funds, and I, I think, you know, but you get sidetracked with time. I mean, you know, people think, oh well, this is, you know, it has happened uh, periodically with various things. It happened with, um, you know, energy stocks. It's happened with tech stocks in the past. It's also happened with marijuana stocks. It happened with Krispy Kreme. So, you know, all of these things, you you kind of forget. Oh well, this is a promising idea of you know, this promising idea of a stock, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you really need a cohesive overall strategy that kind of fits where you are in your life and your risk profile uh, and your tax situation and all of these things. And so to me, the most uh, effective way to do that is by, and the cheapest way, honestly, is by owning, uh, you know, mutual funds and exchange traded funds. It's just really an important Concept for people to understand, and uh, you know that's not to say that there aren't great people who have great results with managing individual stocks. I just think that when we when we look at the probabilities of outcomes, you know, individual stocks are just so more so much more unpredictable than than mutual funds. You know, we can we can know hey, we're participating in the growth of the global economy, and I think that is ultimately what we want. And, uh, you know, a lot of our clients come to us because, you know, they and we usually get clients maybe in their 50s. And so they're really looking for ways to mitigate risk. And, um, you know, that's one of the easiest ways to do that is by diversifying your portfolio. And so, you know, I think that exchange traded funds and mutual funds are, are really the way to go. Um, when it when it comes to that, especially, you know, as people go through the you know the retirement period and leaving the accumulation period and go through the retirement period.
0: Yeah, Chip, I I totally agree, and uh, I think you know we can end it on that. I think that'll do it today, folks. Um, we've had a blast recording, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Oh. Mm-hmm.